So what can you do? The first thing you can do is just is pray. I really want you to take these next two weeks and pray. One of my, five, Micah, my five-year-old got sick on Friday and he came to our room. None of my boys have ever, when they get stomach sick, they've never been able to ring the toilet or the trash can. Never. I don't know if it's just my kids. They can shoot a basketball, but they can't ring a toilet. And Micah is just like them. And he comes in, he makes it to my bedroom and all over my bed spread. It's like five in the morning. And, and so I'm like, you can laugh. It's kind of funny or is it not? No. Well, I'll just tell the story and you can do whatever you want to with it. So I pick him up. You know, this is how you do it because you don't want to get anything on you and his stomachs. And so I set him down in front of the tub and, and he's doing his thing and he's fussing and he's upset. And, and finally, after a few minutes, he looked at me like, like I was crazy. He just kind of looked up at me and he goes, Dad? Are you going to pray for me or not? <laughs> and so I'm, my, my bad, man. And so we prayed. And my prayers are never enough. He always wants his mom to come in and pray. I'm like, what? What? Can I not touch God for you? And obviously he doesn't think I can. But I, I, want, you to, I want you to pray. This is what you pray for your friends. Not that they're sick, but they need Jesus. That the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see. You got to, it's not that the seed's no good or the word's no good or God's not saving. No, they can't see. The devil is blinding them. If I put a finger up and put something in front of it, I still have a finger up. It just, you just can't see it. This has to be removed. The barrier has to be removed. So you pray, Lord, rather it be hurt or offense or a bad experience or our deception, Lord, would you just remove that barrier so my husband, so my daughter, so my, my boss, so my co-worker, so my neighbor, so my person I work out with, I just want them to see, God, the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So over the next couple of weeks, just, just make it a matter of prayer. And you know why I'm so passionate about this? Because I, I believe there is a heaven to gain, a hell to shun. And I also believe life with Jesus is better. It's better. And if you believe that, then you'll be passionate about it too. If you want people to experience what you have, then you'll, you'll invite them. And that's a, just invite them. We have these cards for you. They're at the information table. Uh, it just says, say yes on the front. It's just a, just a tool for you to put in somebody's hand. Not, don't put it on a windshield. or don't, We don't want that. that. That's not very effective. But put it in their hand. Maybe put a note. Hey, I'd love to see you at a service with me. And, and then tell them you'll meet them here early if it's a 11 o'clock. I'll meet you here at 1045 because we come early and sit close, don't we? And Yes, we do. And, 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 and I'll help you get your kids to kids' church, and we'll have a great time. And here's what, I, here's what I'll do. When I give that altar call, when I ask people to get saved, and you know, I usually say, hey, everybody shut your eyes and bow your head. You can bow your head, but you can keep one eye open, and you can look at your friend. And when they say yes to Jesus... It's going to be the greatest Easter you've ever experienced. It's going to be the best time. Why? Because here's what the Bible says. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But how shall they ask him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? I'm going to do that part. We're going to sing about him. We're going to pray to him. And I'm going to preach about him. And how can they hear about them unless someone tells them? That's what I'm asking you to do. Just invite them. And then I want you to participate. If you're not on a Sunday morning service team, get on a team. Be like Rochelle. Uh, be a part of what God is doing here at Clover Hill. Use your gifts, talents, abilities to make a difference here. And then have a good attitude. 
I know Easter is, we call them Christers, where they just come on Christmas and Easter. It's kind of like the gym the first month of the year where you, I just can't stand it. Don't even go because you got all these non-worker outers that are going to come because they got this big idea. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to get in shape. And it lasts for about three weeks. All they do is take up space and take up the machines. And if we're not careful, we get mad. But that might be the day they see for the very first time. They might have heard it, but they've never seen. And that Sunday they could see. So have a good attitude. Give up your spot. Many of us will be parking in Manchester, so we'll have plenty of parking. The last two years we've had record, record attendance. We want to make room. We're asking you to get a ticket, not the cost, but so we just know who's coming when, so we can properly prepare and plan. That is all online. It's going to be a great day. Today we're in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs, before I show you the verse, you remember it's the book of Solomon wrote it. It's a bunch of wise saying. It's not promises, it's principles. So Solomon became king of Israel, and he said, God said, Solomon, what do you want? What can I do for you? And he said, you know what, God, more than anything else, I just need wisdom. I just need insight and discernment. If you'll give me that, that'll be enough. And God said, that's a good request, so I'm going to make you wise. He became the wisest man in the known world at that time. He accumulated this book got wise sayings, put some of his sayings in it, and, and it's kind of, it doesn't really, if you've re- reading it, and I hope you are, one proverb a day that corresponds to the month, but, but it just kind of skips around. One, in one verse, he'll say, practice self-control, and then he'll talk about money, and then he'll talk about, it's better to live on the corner of a roof than a quarrelsome wife, and you're like, where did that come from? And it, it just kind of skips around and jumps around, but there are nuggets throughout the book that if you'll read, apply, and share that'll make a difference for you. It's really about making life better and making it easier. So Solomon said, I want your life to be better and I want it to be easier. So follow these principles. And here's one of those principles, Proverbs 15, 16. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. I'd rather, I'd rather know the Lord, be walking with the Lord and be living in a starter home then have a big old house, not know God, and living with turmoil in my heart. I would rather be, be driving a beater car that just gets me to where I need to go with, with just the, the, the knowledge that I'm in the grace of God and in His goodness than, than a new, brand new SUV with turmoil in my heart. The, the proverb Solomon is saying, he's really comparing the fear of the Lord and turmoil, and you don't want turmoil. Well, what is turmoil? It's a, it's a state of being. It's, it's something on the inside. It's, uh, if you look up at it in, in the dictionary, it says a state of confusion or agitation, our disorder, our conflict. There's confliction inside. There's unrest. And usually it manifests in anger. Sometimes it can manifest in withdrawal. Sometimes it can manifest in, in, in discouragement, even depression at times. And, and there's usually a reason for inner turmoil. It's, it's usually something that has happened on the outside that's affecting you on the inside. And it's usually a, per, a perceived hurt or pain. Somebody did something for, to you, said something about you, uh, mis, misrepresented you. And so there's this hurt. And, it, and if it's not dealt with and if it's not forgiven, then, then it's going to create turmoil, this inner agitation, this inner unrest and and, and, and there's also just circumstances or situations, challenges and difficulties. And really, I just want to, 
I, I just want to uh, say this message is, is for those that, that are really just going through a hard time. It's really no fault of your own. And, and, and there's just this unrest in your spirit or, or in your heart. And you say, well, Pastor, you don't know what I've been through. And, and I don't know. And I don't want to make light of it. And I don't want to come across as ins- insensitive or uncaring. But I do know this. You've got to get through it. You, you can't allow the, 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 the turmoil to define who you are. You can't allow the situation of the person that's hurt you to be your focus. You, you've got to get through it. And you can get through it by the power of God's word and by the grace of the Holy Spirit. You can get through it. You can move ahead. You don't have to remain in a place of, of inner turmoil and, and agitation. You can do it. And, and just here's some of the men and women that, that, that our history books write about have been saddled with disappointments and disabilities. You cripple a man and you have a Sir Walter Scott. You lock, lock a man in a prison cell and you have a John Bunyan. You bury a man in the snows of Valley Forge and you have a George Washington. You raise a man in abject poverty and you have an Abraham Lincoln. You strike a man with paralysis and you have Franklin Roosevelt. You burn a man so severely in a, in a school fire that they say he'll never walk again. And you have a Glenn Cunningham who set a record in 1934 for running a mile under four minutes. You deafen a composer and you have a Beethoven. You have a, a man or a black man or a woman born in a, in a society filled with racial discrimination. And you have a Booker T. Washington, a Harriet Tubman, or a George Washington Carver. You call a man a slow learner, retarded, and write him off as unteachable. And you have an Albert Einstein. Success is not found in your circumstances. It's found in getting over them. Helen Keller was born blind, deaf, and mute, but she graduated with honors. Bill Gates was a college dropout. Today he's a billionaire. Golda Meir, Israel's first uh, and only woman prime minister, was a divorced grandmother from Milwaukee. Jesus was a poster child for disappointment and challenges. Society caught his, he, he was born to a mother that wasn't wed. And, and, and she told everybody he was the Holy Spirit. I mean, you, we understand that now, but you think about that culture and what they, he was born as a hated minority. He was a Jew in a Roman culture, in a Roman world. He was recognized by the church as a heretic, a drunkard, and full of demons. He was called by the state. He was too dangerous to live. His, one of his closest friends sold him out for 30 pieces of silver, and the rest of his friends deserted him. He was the creator of, of heaven, but he was treated like a criminal. He was tried and convicted without a fair trial. Yet his response to suffering and difficulties and challenges was, in this world, you will have trouble. I don't want to give you a false expectation or, or give you rose-colored glasses. The world is hard, but take heart. You know what he's saying? you got to get through it. For I have overcome the world. I, I'm bigger than it. I'm better than it. With you, with me, you can, you, can, you can do it. And again, the issue today is not whether if we'll have difficulties or challenges. The, if, the difficulty or the, the question is how will we respond to it? And here's some responses I'll give you. You can follow along in your outline. Here's how you don't want to respond. You don't want to blame God. I think you can question God. I think you can, you can, you can talk. Obviously, you can talk with God, but you don't want to wave your finger at God. You don't, you don't want to blame God. You, you, don't, you don't want to get in that, in that argument. Here, here's Proverbs 19.3. A man's own folly ruins his life. 
And we blame God sometimes when it's really our fault, our own folly, our own, our own lack of living according to the Word of God. So our marriage is falling apart, but we're not praying together. We're not coming to church together. We're not uh, loving each other as Christ loved the church. We're not communicating. We're not dating. We're not investing. And because of our own folly, our marriage is just about gone, but our heart rages against the Lord. God, why are you allowing this? It's not God. It's our, our negligence, our lack of effort, our lack of, of commitment or whatever it might be. It's same way with our finances. Our finances might be in shambles and we get mad at God, but, but that we have to ask ourselves, are we doing it God's way? Are we handling God's money in the way that he has commanded and told us to do? And if not, then... Then, then, then it's not God, it's your own foolishness, it's your own stuff that's causing your life to be ruined. Don't get mad at God, go to God, run to God. This is what the Bible says about those who awaken from their folly or their foolishness. The Lord is near those who are discouraged. Are you discouraged today? Has your own foolishness or your own folly got you in a place where you don't know how to get out? He sees those who have lost all hope. God is there to help you. God is there... The only thing you got to do is recognize and realize, God, I'm the reason, and I repent, and I turn from, and I turn to, and God says, I'll see you, and I'm going to be near you, and I'm going to help you. But another reason because of our, 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 we blame God, is has nothing to do with us. Maybe you've been trying to have a baby for a long time, and, and, the, and then the one you just, you just miscarried again, and God, I didn't. What have I done? This is not, this is not my being in, in our hearts, if not. And that's why it's so important to guard your heart. Solomon said, guard your heart, for out of it flow the issues of life. You've got to guard your hearts against resentment and bitterness and, and anger and, and just junk that will result in a, in a life that's not attracted to others and not appealing even to yourself. I, I, I worked so hard and I honored my boss. Why did I get fired? I raised my kids the best I could. I took them to church. I gave them an example why have they drifted from the Lord? I did nothing to deserve this treatment. And we can get mad and angry at God. And I, I'm just encouraging you, that's not a proper response. You remember Jonah, uh, the story of Jonah. Many of you heard it in Sunday school growing up. If you haven't, Jonah was a prophet. He was a preacher. And he was commanded by God to go to the Ninevites. And you got to just know a little bit about the Ninevites. They were part of the Assyrian Empire. Very wicked, very cruel. They would, they would, they would burn their... Their victims alive. They would. They would. They were just very hate-filled, anger. They. They didn't. They didn't fight according to the rules, if if that's even possible. And 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 they were some of Israel's greatest adversaries and opponents. And God says, Jonah, I want you to go to them and I want you to preach judgment. But tell them if they'll turn to me, then I'll then I'll turn to them and I'll I'll relinquish what I was going to do and I'll give them grace. And and Jonah, he knew enough about God that God, he realized God's going to do that. And so he said, I'm not going there. They don't deserve it. They're not worth it. So he hops on a boat to Tarsus and a whale. He gets thrown off. A whale swallows him. He's in the bottom uh, belly of this great fish. Comes to his senses. God, I'll go. I'm sorry. Spits him out. He goes to Nineveh. He preaches the gospel, and they get saved. They turn their hearts to God. And Jonah gets mad. God, I knew this was going to happen. Starts blaming God for good things. It, I knew, and the Bible says that he went out under a tree, and he, he, just, he said, I wish I was just dead. Nobody's going to believe me anymore. You know what? It was like a two-year-old sucking on his thumb, 
mad at God, and, and I wonder how many marriages have been ruined, and how many jobs have been lost, and how many relationships destroyed, and how many churches split, and blessings missed, and potential never reached by whiny, thumb-sucking Christians who got mad at God, got in some corner somewhere, and pouted over their perceived injustice and failure and offenses. I'm just wasting their life because they're not able to get through it, to get through it. And, and, and you know, I, when I was in college, I was required to read this book about the Hearst, Aggie Hearst, can't even remember the title of the book now, but, but uh, Aggie's parents, David and Siva, were from Sweden, and they were called to, to be missionaries. So this young couple, they have a little boy at the time, they leave all their stuff behind, they, they, they say goodbye to all their relatives, all the comforts of home, and they move to the Belgian Congo in Africa, and their plan was, we're going to set up a little camp right outside of a village. We're going to build a relationship with this village. We're going to win them to the Lord. And then we're going to go do it to the next village. So they had these dreams and this vision and this passion to reach this, this, this nation with the, with the gospel of Christ. And, and so they go, and the first year was anything but any, everything but what they imagined. It was hard. It was difficult. They, they had a hard time even getting food and clothing. They were unprepared for the elements and what was going on. And, and uh, all they saw, they were going to build this relationship. All they saw for the first full year was one little boy that would come from this nearby tribe and would come and Siva would sit with him and would share Bible stories with him and would love on him and would encourage him. And, and almost for a year, he would come every day and they'd spend time together. Well, after a year, uh, uh, Siva b- becomes pregnant. And uh, when she was giving birth, she passed away. She gave birth to a little girl. They named her Aggie before she died. And, and I mean, uh, uh, David, the dad, just went, was beside himself. God, I've left everything, and I've come out here. And, and this is what happens? Uh, this woman, my wife, the one I love more than anything, 27 years old, you take her? What, you, now I got this three-year-old boy and this baby that I can't, I can't take care of. He gets so mad and becomes so bitter. He takes his three-year-old boy. They move back to Sweden. He leaves Aggie with another missionary couple. I mean, just, just leaves it. And he goes, and, and uh, skip ahead 40 years, Aggie now is a missionary called to, to, to win the nations to Christ. She's at a missionary conference with all kind of missionaries all over the world. They've come to be encouraged and prayed for and pray with. And, and, and a little African man stands up, and he begins to tell his story. I'm from Africa, the Belgian, Belgian Congo. When I was just a boy, this couple came from Sweden, and they set up camp right outside our tribe. And, and I, I was snuck out every night. Every day I snuck out. And this woman named Siva, she just shared the gospel with me and shared Bible stories with me and talked to me about the Lord. And one day I came back, and they were all gone, and I, and I found a, a tombstone, and, and there was a pile of dirt there where obviously she had been buried, and, it, and, and she had died. And I thought to myself, man, if a woman was willing to give her life to share the gospel with me, there must be something about this Jesus she talked about. And I began to examine and pray, and I gave my heart to the Lord. He grows and grows older. Come to find out, he goes back and wins the whole tribe to Jesus. The whole tribe comes to know Jesus. He preaches in crusades where hundreds of thousands of people give their heart to the Lord in one setting. He starts 32 Bible schools in a hospital with 150 beds. A life transformed and changed by one missionary couple that gave their life. Siva, our Aggie brother, gets so excited. She tries to find her dad. She finds him, hunts him down. Goes to apartment, knocks on his door, opens the door. It's dimly lit. There's liquor bottles all over the place. She finds a man that obviously is in a place of turmoil, agitation, spirit not right. He, even that day, hung over from the night 
before, and, and, and she goes, man, he goes, I'm sorry, I left you, I should have never done that, and, and, and Aggie goes, don't worry about it, Jesus took care of me, he went irate, no, Jesus took us out to the mission field and killed my wife and left me a widow at 27, what, what do you mean he took care of you, and she began to tell the story of that little boy that, that, that his wife, her mother, won to the Lord, and he's went on to do great things for God, and and the tears begin to flow, and his heart breaks. And he responds to Jesus, and he gives his heart back to the Lord. And just a few weeks later, he passes away as cirrhosis of the liver. And I, and I think, what a wasted life. What a life. Because a man couldn't get through it. Because a man allowed harborness and bitterness and anger and resentment. Not even, seeing the, not even being able to see or understand or try to fathom or understand the big picture in God's story. Mad at God, mad at the world, mad at himself. Living in a constant state of inner turmoil and confusion. Frank, I just tell you, life's too short. God's too good. For us to live in a state of blaming God and mad at God and angry at God. It's just not worth it. We can blame God or we can murmur and complain. Here's another thing we like to do. And, and I just want to encourage you, this is probably, it's not probably, this is not the right response. Philippians 2.14, do everything without complaining or arguing. Here's another verse in Jude 14. There's only one chapter in Jude, so we just get the verses. Behold, the Lord is coming with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all. I mean, you, you get the picture. God's coming back, and, and he's going he's gonna to get those who did wrong to convict those who are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds. And you're thinking, man, he's going to talk about the sexual immoral and the murders and the thieves and the liars and the junkers. And he doesn't say any of that. He says, no, I'm coming for the grumblers and the complainers. I mean, you, you, don't, you, don't want to be, you don't want to be labeled as a grumbler or a complainer. We murmur about the size of our homes when, when millions of people tonight will sleep in cardboard boxes. We complain about not having enough. Yet in the next hour, 10,000 children will die from malnutrition. When we grumble against life's circumstances, we're really grumbling against God. The Israelites were habitual complainers. If there was a murmuring group, it was them. They, they, they murmured about their leadership. They murmured about this, the, the environment. They complained about not having enough. They complained about having the same of too much. They always wanted to go back, always grumbling, always complaining, always murmuring. And God heard their murmuring. And this is what he said. How long will this wicked community grumble against me? They complain. They whine. It's never enough. They want more. They're never content. They're never satisfied. I've heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So I tell them, so tell them, Moses, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. You grumbled about not having enough food. I'm not going to give you enough food. You grumbled about dying in the desert. Every man over 20 years old is going to die in the desert and not see in the promised land. The very thing you said is going to become a reality. I just want to keep emphasizing and telling you, there's life and death and the power of our words. Your words are like seeds, and when you sow them, they, begin, they create a fruit. They, here, here's what James said, your words are like a rudder on a ship. They direct your life. When you start murmuring and complaining and whining and being critical and antagonistic, you begin to live that kind of life. What you say has a strange reality, strange way of becoming reality. Your words are self-fulfilling prophecies. 
Not only grumbling words, but, but self-negative defeating words. Words like, nothing ever good happens to me. Quit saying that. And I'm not, I'm not some name it, claim it preacher. I'm telling you, your words, that's why the Proverbs writer said, guard your mouth and keep watch over the doors of your lips because your words affect the direction of your life. I'm never going to be successful. Stop it. I don't have what it takes. I'm not going to be able to make it. I'll never get through this mess. I want, you to, I want you to start speaking words of life over your situation. Stop saying if and start saying I will by God's grace. Stop saying it's impossible and start saying nothing's impossible to him who believes. Stop saying I don't know the right people and start saying I know almighty God and through him I can do all things. Stop saying I'm not educated and start saying that God gives wisdom liberally to everyone that will ask. Stop saying I could but and start saying today I will. The Bible says clearly to speak to our mountain, and maybe your mountain is sickness or troubled relationships or floundering business, and you can whine and you can complain and you can murmur and you can gripe, or you can speak to it in faith. That's why the Old Testament writer said, and now let the weak say, we are strong, and let the poor say, I am rich, and let the sick say, I'm healed, and let the bound say, I'm free. We can we can talk to God about how big our mountain is, or we can talk to our mountain about how big our God is. The greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And no weapon formed against me shall prosper. And all those who rise up against me shall fall. And if God be for me, who can be against me? Can I, I, just, I want you to quit complaining and murmuring and griping. Quit complaining you don't have enough and start declaring, God, you're going to supply all my needs according to your riches and glory. Quit nagging loved ones to, to come to Jesus and start declaring, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Quit complaining that nothing good happens to you and start declaring that the mercy of God is chasing me down, that the favor of the Lord is upon me and he's blessing the work of my hands. There is a miracle in your mouth. If you want to change your situation, change your speech. So what do I do? Here's what you do. Stop complaining and start thanking. Start. The, here's what the Bible says. In everything, give thanks. An attitude, if we would just get this one point and we would develop, if we would begin to be people of appreciation and thanksgiving and gratitude, it'll change our lives. It'll change our lives. Yesterday, I had a, I mean, it wasn't a bad day, but I thought it was a bad day. So about noon, here's why it was a bad day. I woke up. I usually wake up early. And I, I, I work out to these videos. I pop in a video, and the video skipped the whole time. And that, that, for, that's a bad day. And so I'm ticked now. Some of you say, well, that's great. You didn't even have to work out. No, I like to work out, and I don't get to. And then I go up, and, and we don't have bananas for my shake. And you cannot have a shake without a banana. I'm, I'm, that's a bad day. And I'm, I'm just, and, and, and I'm kind of anal, and I do the same thing every morning. And, and yeah, Angie said kind of. And so it just got me out of whack. This tape skipping and the no banana, what is going on? And <clears throat> if she would just go to Walmart and get a banana, how hard is that? And and then I go to DMV. Have you ever been to DMV on a Saturday? Yeah, that's enough to ruin your world right there. And and uh, I get there at seven forty five, it opens at eight, and the and the line is already wrapped all around the DMV, but to their credit, man, they were great, and I, I, I mean, they, they did really, really good. I was even out at an hour, but it already soured me, and I became man, and then I got home, and the kids wouldn't shut up, and it was like, can you do this, and can you do that, and 
no, it's March Madness. I want to watch basketball. What do you, quit it, stop it. And it was about 11 o'clock, and I was miserable. I mean, you just, you know what I'm talking about. Don't look at me like you're holy. You do the same stuff. <laughs> you do the exact same thing, and you look at me like I'm a bad person. No, I'm not, just like you. And, and I'm mad, and the kids are, you know, I'm not treating them right, and it's just a bad day. And finally, I just said, man, this is stupid. I got a choice in this. I can just complain and whine, and I can live this day in the mully grubs, or I can... Thank God I got a car that I got to go get re-registered. Thank God that though I don't have a banana, I got eggs I can cook. And, and, and just I mean, and it, when, you start, when you stop complaining and start thanking, it changes everything. It changes your perspective. It changes your heart. The kids, by the end of the day, they almost wanted to be around me because I was just, I was somewhat pleasant. <laughs> Stop complaining. Here's what Paul said. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with what? With grumbling, murmuring, complaining? No, with thanksgiving. God, I thank you that you're for me and you're working on my behalf. And I just give you praise today. Present your request to God. And you know what I'll do? I'll, I'll rid you of that inner turmoil, and I'll give you a peace that you don't understand. And it's going to guard your heart and your mind. In Christ Jesus. And it's so important that you guard it because I don't want you to get bitter and hard and sour and ugly and nasty. And so you make your request to me with thanksgiving. I'm going to give you supernatural peace and I'm going to help you guard your heart. Stop, stop, stop complaining and start rejoicing. Here's another thing. I'm, I'm sorry, the second thing. Stop murmuring and start rejoicing. That's why the psalmist said, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. If anybody had reason not to rejoice, it was the apostle Paul. Paul was the one who struggled with a sinful nature. I mean, the, he was the one that said, the very thing I want to do is hard to me. The thing I, I know I shouldn't do comes more easy to me. And Paul, Paul, you talk about persecution. He was beaten with the rod five times. He was, he was stoned uh, three times or one time. He was beaten with rods three times. He said, I had sleepless night, hungry nights, enemies in every city. He talk about ungodly past saw Paul dealt with an ungodly past his first part of his life he was all about destroying the church and making Christians life miserable and persecution and so he had to deal with that and and wrestle with that his prayers were not always answered as he'd hoped he's the apostle Paul but he prayed for a thorn to be taken out of his side not once but three times that it didn't get removed and the response was God gave him but my grace is sufficient and my strength is made perfect in your weakness, and I'm going to help you through this. But he wanted it gone. And so Paul had all these challenges, difficulties, struggles. This is what he wrote. We're hard-pressed on every side. Man, I'm not going to lie to you. It's difficult. But we're not crushed. We're perplexed. I don't understand it. But I'm not in despair. I'm persecuted, but I'm not abandoned. God said he'll never leave me nor forsake me. I'm struck down, but I'm still standing. I'm not destroyed. I've had some challenges Therefore, don't lose heart, don't throw in the towel, don't quit, don't stay in it, keep pressing through it. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly, yet inwardly, that's where we want the change and the transformation. We're being renewed day by day. And when God begins to renew you day by day, it manifests outside. That's why Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Quit murmuring and start rejoicing. 
This is good stuff. This will help us. The last thing, stop pouting and start believing. Stop pouting and start believing. God's able to take your heartache and pain, your missed opportunities and challenges, your obstacles and difficulties and cause them to work for your good or even better for that, for the good of the kingdom. You remember the story of Joseph? Many of you do. Sold into slavery by jealous brothers, accused of rape by a, by a Pharaoh's wife, thrown in prison, left there, and uh, finally elevated to the second in Egypt. And his brothers come around him, and he has every opportunity. He can do whatever he wants to with them. And he says, hey, guys, I forgive you. What you meant to harm me, God's turned in for my good. It's, it's made a way. Listen, listen in the Old Testament how he speaks to the Israelites concerning going through these challenges and difficulties. Remember how the Lord God led you all the way in the desert? The desert represents a hard place, a difficult place. These 40 years, that's a long time. You know why he did it? To humble you and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. Man, I got you out there. I got you in this place. I don't want you to stay there. I'm going to get you through it. I promise to see you through it, but I want to see what's in your heart. I want to know if you're going to, it's easy for you to obey me when everything's fine, but what about when things are difficult? You still going to follow me? You still going to honor me? I want to know, so I, I'm going to put this test before you. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna. And, and often the desert will make us hungry. I don't just mean for food. I mean hungry for the things of God. When, we, when we're going through a challenge, we try to, we, we're more apt to press into God. God, what are you doing? What do you want? What's going on? Which neither your father had known, but, but I wanted to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. I wanted to help you realize that you weren't dependent on a paycheck. You weren't dependent on a relationship. You weren't dependent. You're dependent on me. I'm your source. I'm your everything. That I'm going to provide and take care of you. If you skip ahead to verse uh, 16, it says, he, again, he repeats it. He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known, to humble and test you so that, this is big, I underlined it, and this is what I really want you to get, so that in the end it might go well with you. So that in the end it might go well with you. God's always concerned about the finished product. God all. God's, God's more concerned about your character than he is your comfort. I say it all the time. He's more concerned about your holiness than your happiness. He's more concerned about what you're going to become more than what you are or sometimes what you're going through. And you can be, you can be confident in this, that he who began a good work in you is going to complete it to the day of Christ Jesus. That he is the author, he's the starter, the beginner, and the finisher of our faith. Here, here's what Romans says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. See, I, 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 what I want for you more than anything is just I want you to be free. I, I want you to be free relationally. I, I want you to experience what it is. I want you to be free spiritually. I want you in right relationship with God. I want you to know what it is to be forgiven by him and walk with him. I want you to be free relationally where there's not a bunch of resentment and bitterness and anger between you and somebody else. I want you to be free, free financially. And I want you to be free emotionally. I don't want you to live with turmoil. And God, Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. I don't want you to stay. I want you to get through. And so, so how? I'm telling you, speak words of faith. I will, I'm going to wait upon the Lord, and he's going to renew my strength. He's going to help me to mount up with wings as eagles. I'm going to walk and not grow weary. I'm going to run and not grow faint. Lord, as I wait on you, empower me. 
Lord, I, 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 I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk in victory because the battle's not mine, it's yours. I'm just going to speak words of faith and hope over my situation. Give thanks in all circumstances. God, I understand, but, but, but you're helping me. We're going to make it through this. Thank you for the difficult people in my life because they're helping me become more like you. Lord, I even thank you for the challenge because in the end, it, it matters what it matters that at the end it might go well with me. And God, you're working on my behalf. And then believe in the promises of God. God, you're on my side. You're working everything out for my good. I trust you. Here's how Solomon said it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. All your heart. Even in the bad times, yes. Even in the good times, yes. With all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will direct your path. Amen, everybody? Amen. Bow your heads and your hearts with me, will you? <clears throat> Holy Spirit, we... We acknowledge that you're here, that you're here to bring comfort, that you're to bring hope, that you're here to bring instruction and teaching, that you're here to minister to your people and give us what we need for the week ahead. And we pause in this moment to just say, Holy Spirit, fill us. Why, why don't you, will you stand to your feet with me and and do you mind, will you raise your hands towards heaven and just say, Lord, will you fill me afresh today? Will you infuse me with a greater reality and a greater understanding?